This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. Xilinx picks up solar flare. HPC development in the cloud. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with HPC Wire. I'm Addison Snell. That's Tiffany Trader. Tiffany, we, we're kind of doing double duty here this week in HPC because we didn't do last week in HPC because we were both at the Advanced Scale Forum Conference uh, in Florida. That was a pretty good event put on by Tabor Communications. I was glad to have been there. Yeah, it was good to have you there. So yeah, that's our annual event that we held last week in Jacksonville, Florida. I think the, the year before it was in Austin, Texas. And we were really good uh, keynote speakers and, and good panels and case studies. Uh, the themes for the, the program were examining the uh, evolving advanced scale paradigm, as we do here on the podcast, and specifically HPC, HPC high-performance computing, big data, and analytics, and uh, increasingly AI. So Speaking of AI, you were there and chaired our AI panel. Which I was a- there, yeah. I, I really liked the AI panel, and I thought my uh, panelists had a lot to bring, talking specifically about some of the practical implications of how to get started with AI. How do I measure it? What does success look like? How much data do I need? And we had good representatives on that from, from uh, Schrodinger, Formulas Black, HPE, SUSE, and of course, uh, Doug Black, who's the uh, editor of Enterprise AI, all contributed to that. And I think there's a write-up of that coming to Tabor Publications soon. And meanwhile, all of the editors were together on a separate panel. What did you think of just being up there with your editors talking about all of the topics du jour? Yeah, so that that was good. The, we had the editors panel, and we touched on those themes I was just telling you about. So you've probably heard these off-repeated statistics that less than two percent of the world's data is accessible, and half the world's data has been created in the last year or two. And even if these are kind of made up to some extent, um, I think the spirit of of them is is true. Uh, so you. You think about organizations and even consumers, and we even we can struggle with this data overload. But um, you know, when you think of what could potentially potentially be coming if we're you know at, at a, a half of half a percent, and um, increasingly like the data is uh, expanding exponentially, you know, we're probably at the very bottom of, of a hockey stick. That you know, we need some kind of a super log chart to uh, to diagram out. So uh, I think if you look broadly, you know, you look broadly at compute data and AI stra- strategies. It's kind of cool that they, you know, we've we've engineered designed it so that that's um that's the focus and of our portfolio, and um, this is something that we covered on the panel with uh, Doug Black and Alex Woody, um, you know, the, the editors uh, for Enterprise AI and and Data Nami, and uh, it was moderated by Tom. So you have this uh, emerging, uh, increasingly this virtuous circle between these spheres, the big compute, the big data, and the AI. And so each of us has this different perspective and insight into it, you know, with uh, Alex on the data management side. And then um, I see the enormous c- compute that will uh, be needed to undergird all of it and to um, unlock the capabilities, um, unlock the value from the data. And then, of course, we have... Uh, the algorithms and the models coming together with the compute and the data, and then that, that's what makes it all possible, uh, all of the machine learning advances that we're seeing, and then that's what we're capturing with uh, Enterprise AI, Enterprise AI, which uh, which, which we recently rebranded, as we talked about on the last uh, podcast, you know, because of the increasing significance and potential for um, the machine learning uh, domain. Yeah, it, it's a huge, fast-changing market, and it's what makes it so so exciting as an analyst. As for 
2% of the data being accessible. It's one of these great sound bites that it doesn't even matter if that number is off by a factor of five. It could be less than half a percent or it could be 10% and it would still be equally impactful. The point is that that uh, we have this massive data overload and there's there's a great deal of investment in terms of looking at how to activate that data and get competitive value from it. And related to that this week in HPC, this is also related to a previous story. We already watched NVIDIA's acquisition of Mellanox in terms of bringing high-performance network fabric to a major chip manufacturer that's looking at accelerating applications. Now we have an echo to that story as FPGA maker Xilinx Zy- uh, has uh, bought SolarFlare, a high-end Ethernet company. Right. So I think a lot of us had the same first thought when we, we saw the, the, the news come out. You know, oh, look, there's this chip company picking up a networking company reminiscent of, of NVIDIA pick, um, acquiring Mellanox. Um, Xilinx is, of course, the leading FPGA company along with uh, Intel uh, and their Altera line. Um, with I think uh, Xilinx still enjoying the, the larger market share. And uh, SolarFlare, um, just background on them, they're, they're a high-speed networking company. Founded in 2001, based in Irvine, California, they work with Ethernet technologies and application acceleration, specializing, uh, no, no surprise, and uh, considering their focus on low latency networking solutions, they specialize to a lot for the fintech market. And uh, yeah, they have around uh, 200 employees. So, um, I mean, I don't know, not, not too big of a surprise, perhaps, here. There's These companies have been working together. Uh, SolarFlare uses FPGAs to build smart NICs, uh, net- network interface cards that integrate networking and storage and, and can compute to uh, to reduce the burden on the CPU with the benefit of uh, better system performance. Yeah, it is interesting to look at the comparison between this and the uh, NVIDIA Mellanox acquisition. Now, that previous one was nearly $7 billion, $6.9 billion. The purchase price or the terms of this deal for Xilinx and SolarFlare were not disclosed. So we can't uh, compare that. In both cases, we're looking at uh, a chip company or essentially an accelerator company that focuses on uh, application acceleration for high-performance applications, moving in with a a high-performance interconnect company. But then after that, I think there are some important differences between the two, Um, starting with the fact that with SolarFlare, we're looking at a a high-end Ethernet company. And as such, it's slightly different segments. We do see them in financial services, of course, and other areas uh, where, uh, where Ethernet is the predominant interconnect. We even find some with uh, academic HPC installations that are using solar flare. The interesting thing here is that we see it as often or maybe even more often as a LAN provider versus a uh, system interconnect and never as a storage interconnect. Whereas with InfiniBand or or the Ethernet solutions from Mellanox, we see them predominantly as a system interconnect, but also as storage and, and sometimes even LAN. So it's a bit of a different uh, part of the value chain in a high-performance environment. And then in terms of the uh, investment of Xilinx into SolarFlare, it's true that they have worked together closely previously, as have NVIDIA and Mellanox. But in this case, to look at some of the investment, like having an FPGA-accelerated smart NIC, well, that's kind of going the other way around from what we've talked about with NVIDIA and Mellanox. Uh, There's been a lot of the discussion around how do you use the networking components to 
uh, bring about more acceleration from the chip component, how to use the network to accelerate the chip. In that case, with an FPGA accelerated NIC, you're doing the other thing. You're using the chip to accelerate the network. Both are valuable, but it's it's kind of a, a mirror image in terms of uh, what thing is accelerating which. Mm -hmm. Right, right. But it is uh, following on the uh, trajectories of increasingly dis distributing the compute throughout the uh, the system. Yeah, absolutely. When we do see that trend continuing and, and we think both of these acquisitions are similar in that regard, it's just a bit of a different approach to uh, the same type of problem. Also, I will say in each case, what you're looking at is uh, companies in both cases that, that could consider themselves in some sense natural competitors to something that Intel is doing. And maybe part of what we see with these acquisitions is a shoring up of alliances in the face of uh, a very large potential competitor and the need to uh, safeguard part of the technology value stream. Mm-hmm. And as you said, the size of the, the deal uh, has not been disclosed, but it is expected to close next year, pending all of the usual reg regulatory review and the other conditions that go along with that. Okay, Tiffany, also this week in HPC, there's another startup that uh, has to do with cloud. Now, in this case, we've got uh, a bit of a different idea, which is moving HPC application development out to the cloud as opposed to the applications themselves. Yeah, this is an interesting startup. So. Their name is Arcanon. Um, they've they've been incubated and launched in Singapore. They founded last year, February 2018, and then this year they got about a million in funding in February this year. Most of it from uh, SG Innovate, uh, and Nvidia is also providing some support through its conception program, uh, and AWS is a partner. So what they do is provide a complete HPC test dev environment in the cloud using virtualization and emulation and encapsulation technologies that uh, creates a functional replica of the production system, which we also which we know are often oversubscribed and also don't provide the scale that you need to to do a full full uh, scale uh, testing and debugging of the code. And their uh, their platform includes the entire stack, the IDE their own custom parallel debugger and other development tools. And then the software packages, OS compiler, and all that part of the stack um, in a singularity container. And most, most interestingly here, uh, the production environment is emulated down to the component level. So complete emulation of the target or production system down to the processors, the accelerators, the topology, the network switches, and all of that. So. To, just to be clear, uh, this means you could hypothetically custom design a completely virtual system out of you know with with any components you wanted that they that they had in their in their library. Yeah, this is an interesting idea to me because let's say you're at a major academic HPC center or government lab that puts in a new high performance supercomputer that's all the new best of breed of everything at a wonderful new level of scale, immediately you'd like to start developing applications to go run on that. And some applications will be ready sooner than others. Well, as soon as some applications are up and running, it becomes increasingly harder to reserve time, especially over a large portion of the system, to do application development and testing. And, and well, if I can't develop for it, then, you know, what how am I going to get the next thing running on it? I don't have another one of these sitting around uh, as a spare. So this idea to 
emulate these environments now in a cloud-based environment. Application development, in a sense, is something that should map well to cloud because you need a lot of resources for a relatively short period of time. I, I go, I test something, I check out the emulation, then I come back, I do another round of coding, and then I then I go and burst it out again. It's not a steady state 95% utilization kind of thing. And Arcanin says they can even uh, emulate new components that aren't generally available, that new processor, that new interconnect that's not generally available yet. They'll emulate in their cloud. It's not for production. It shouldn't be using this for benchmarking. But in terms of does this work, does this scale, that's something that now I can move into the cloud if I can't get the time on the new supercomputer. Right, right. So that's, yeah, that's the use case that they're they're highlighting at launch here is, is addressing the pain point of developers with uh, limited access to cycles. Uh, one of their, their beta site partners is the National Supercomputing Center in Singapore, and they have uh, emulated the Aspire 1 system there, and I believe they have plans to also be be working with them. Uh, they, they just got an, they're going to be upgrading their system, and I think they're going to be a partner there too. Um, you know, so they're doing this so that just developers can do their debugging and t testing without taking up the, uh, you know, the, the precious cycles and the, the oversubscribed cycles on the, the production machine. Um, and then as, you, I, as I think you touched on, uh, what I think is the even more interesting use case, and it, it's also part of their, their business strategy, is where they work with OEMs and systems integrators to, to simulate these environments, uh, these machines for the tender and uh, commissioning process, right? So then that would give the customer a test system for um, the evaluation process or further on in the process to prepare their code so they, they can be ready on, on day one with these machines that they've, they've spent so much money on. Yeah, it's kind of a natural fit in terms of workflow. I, I totally get that. If there, if one area of concern, it's going to be on the monetization side, which is if I'm, you know, using my, uh, my dedicated time on an in-house computer, well, those are essentially amortized cycles. I don't necessarily think of paying for those cycles. So now if I have a monetization where I need to pay for the development time through a cloud, Someone's going to have to work out what the value is and who pays for that, what budget that comes out of. I do think there's the potential there for a market they weren't really talking about, which is the HPC ISV community, which might find better utility paying for cycles in a cloud as opposed to managing their own in-house systems at, at some level. So I, I do have some questions there about what the business model is for making this work. I get that there will be the desire, but they're certainly going to get a lot of attention on it. And they've got backing for some names that we certainly recognize in the HPC industry. Right. So, I mean, I, this is a very ambitious, this is a very ambitious project. There's a, um, Undertaken. There's a lot of work to be done here to, to build up the library. Uh, each uh, so each component they, they emulate takes it can take uh, takes two weeks to two months. So, like you said, it's it's a good it's encouraging. It's a good sign they have some solid people behind them. And and one of those is uh, John Gustafson, of course of Gustafson's Laws fame. He is a board member and their lead scientific advisor. Uh, and they also um, got a got a um, nice comment of support uh, from Wolfgang Gensch as well, who's with uh, the founder and the CEO of the the Uber Cloud project. 
Yeah, two great names to have involved in this on the HPC side. And I, I've certainly been a great admirer of John's throughout his career. So uh, anything that he's working on is bound to get some attention. And I'll be looking forward to tracking uh, their success with this project going forward. We might even be able to get a chance to visit uh, in Singapore when the HPC and AI on Wall Street comes to Singapore later this year. That's right. That's right. That's where this effort is, is based. And um, we might have an opportunity to to, uh, to see them when that event is there in, Oct in October. All right, Tiffany, thanks a lot. For, and thanks to you for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.